Welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. We all have so much stuff in our lives and we're beginning to realise that the making, using and disposal of our items can cause harm to those who made them, the planet and even ourselves. I'm Jo Salter, your podcast host, and I'll be talking with some amazing people who've made it their life's work to do something about this, creating businesses, campaigning, writing books and much more to help us understand and make better choices. This time I'm talking with Jason Alexander, nature lover and award-winning campaigner on keeping our planet clear of trash. Jason is the founder of Rubbish Walk CIC at rubbishwalks.co.uk, based in beautiful Suffolk, raising awareness about the issues of single-use plastics, litter and waste in general across Suffolk and far beyond. In March 2019, he proudly received a Points of Light Award from the Prime Minister and later that year was announced as Suffolk's Green Hero at the Creating the Greenest County Awards. One of his key passions is raising awareness about the issues of cigarette butt litter. To date, he has picked up over 850,000 cigarette butts as part of his One Million Butts campaign. Welcome back to the Where Does It Come From podcast. I'm your host, Joe Salter, and today I have the wonderful Jason Alexander with me, aka Wildlife Gadget Man, aka Rubbish Walks. So we have Jason with us, and he's going to be telling us quite a lot about the things he's doing with rubbish. Basically, we're going to be talking rubbish. So, Jason, first of all, please could you tell me a bit about yourself and what prompted you to start collecting rubbish? Well, hi, hi, Joe. Thanks for inviting me along. Um, in and yeah, it started quite a few years ago. To be honest, my my background is in electronics and and product design. And many years ago, back in two thousand and four, something like that, I designed a range of wildlife camera systems. So the kind of thing that you see on Spring Watch, I think many of us have, have um, enjoyed watching an episode or two of, of Spring Watch. And I can distinctly remember uh, the first time I watched it. I'd actually just had a quite a nasty um, sporting accident. I snapped my Achilles tendon and had literally just gone self-employed. I started a property maintenance business with my, my brother and three months in, Snapped my Achilles tendon, so there wasn't really much I could um, I could do apart from kind of sit on the sofa with my leg up in plaster and um, ponder, you know, what I was going to be doing for the next twelve to 16, 16 weeks. And um, my son at the time was was four and absolutely mad about wildlife. And I can remember watching Bill Oddie chatting about the little tiny blue tits inside this nest box. And the whole nation was enthralled by the by the story developing of, you know, will the eggs hatch? Will the chicks fledge? And I can remember thinking that would be an absolutely brilliant present for, for Sam, my, my son, for birthday or Christmas. And I had lots of time to do to do research. So I was looking in magazines and and um, and on the on the Internet. And there was only one or two um, nest box cameras available at the time. And, and they were either really expensive or not very good. And that was kind of one of the first ever kind of genuine light bulb moments that I've ever had where I thought, well, hang on a sec. I have a. A background in electronics and product design. My brother, who I set up the property maintenance business with, is a fantastic carpenter. And I thought, well, maybe there's something here. I can design some some camera systems. And it snowballed from there. And within three three to four years, we've become the the biggest manufacturers uh, or the largest manufacturers in in Europe of that kind of equipment, which it, it, it sounds more impressive than it is because uh, it's quite a niche market, but something that, that we were really um, proud of. And we were lucky enough to win a number of different awards, which Best Buy magazine and that kind of thing. And uh, the BBC started to use some of the kits as well. And one or two of the camera kits were used in, in the Springwatch series. And I was lucky enough to, to visit some of the locations and became friendly with one of the original presenters, Simon King. 
Mm. And Simon was the one who was always going off up to Shetland and um, stalking the deer. And uh, he'd always have his, his cap on and he'd, he'd quite often <laughs> the seagulls would fly over and, um, and leave a little present on the top of his, of his hat. And um, <laughs> so we, we became quite um, friendly and, and Simon started using some of my kits as well. And, um, and eventually Simon left um, the BBC and Springwatch and became my business partner for a while. Oh, brilliant. And, um, and we started something called Wildlife Whisperer. And of course, I'm thinking, you know, I've now got a, an Emmy Award winning um, world renowned wildlife photographer and author <laughs> as a business partner. You know, what, what could possibly go wrong? And uh, quite a bit, as it, turn, <laughs> as it turns out. And, nice um, and um, but it, but it, yeah, Simon and I, great friends, got on really well, um, but we're kind of from different worlds. So Simon's out doing all the wonderful filming and creating wonderful films. And I was stuck in the office, running the business, chatting to everyone else about all of their wonderful um, wildlife adventures whilst I'm trying to, to keep everything um, going in the background. And, and to be honest, I got quite fed up with it um, <laughs> quite quickly. And um, I had the opportunity to, to sell my share in the business and get back to doing something that I love doing, which is tinkering with gadgets <laughs> getting closer to wildlife and interacting with people. So I set up something called Wildlife Gadget Man and absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And back in what must be around about 2014 now, I set myself a challenge to witness and photograph 100 sunrises in a year. And you know, that's a lot harder than it sounds. You have to get up for a lot more than 100 sunrises mm-hmm. to um, to witness them. And, and it was... It was much a kind of health and well-being thing uh, as taking the photograph. So it was, it was about balancing uh, being in the moment with sharing the moment, and that's something that I kind I try and do throughout my life. Um, but what I found was I'm lucky living here in Suffolk. We've Absolutely. got some wonderful, beautiful locations. We're on the east coast, so we have wonderful sunrises over over the, the the sea and um so i was getting up really early experiencing some wonderful wonderful sunrises and taking some lovely photos but what i found was is that i was starting to move pieces of litter and rubbish out of the way to make the scenes look as 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 amazing as they could be and i was always brought up as i'm sure you were that we pop our litter, any trash that we've got in the bin. Mm-hmm. So as I'm moving these crisp packets and, and coffee cups out of the way, I couldn't just leave it there. I, so I'd pick it up, take it to the nearest bin or or take it home and stick it in the recycling bin if I could. And um, that soon became an integral part of my, my daily routine. And whereas before, if I was getting up in the summer at you know, silly o'clock, you know, maybe 3 a.m. or 3.30, and I'd look out the window and see that it was a, a little bit um, cloudy, overcast, drizzly. I might, might have thought, well, actually, I'll get it back. I'll go back to bed for, a, for two or three hours. Um, I suddenly found myself thinking, well, actually, I could still go out and, and do a beach clean or a, or a litter pick. And that worked quite well in the early stages because it was a few years ago, so it was kind of less mainstream than it is is now it's not exactly mainstream now but it was we were kind of in the minority the the kind of the weirdo with their litter picker and bag (laughs) walking along picking up other people's trash you know you get some funny funny looks so what I found was when I first started to do it I found myself choosing maybe times of the day when I thought there'd be less people around Mm -hmm. or locations where I thought there would be less people around because I I felt a little bit there was a, an element of embarrassment mm-hmm. or awkwardness about doing what I was doing um but I very very quickly got over that and the more that I looked into the issues of of littering and the and the impact that we are having on the environment I soon got over any embarrassment and thought well actually I'm looking at this totally the wrong way I need to flip it on its on its head and I need to be going out when there are lots of people around, not because I want people to see me and think, oh, look at that fellow. He's doing a good job. It was a case of being there, being visible and just 
prompting people to start maybe thinking about their actions. I'm I'm not a confrontational person. I think nobody likes to be told what to do. It's all about trying to nudge people in the right direction and eventually we'll start to make a difference. We'll start to head in the right direction and we'll start to see proper effective long-term change. That's pretty pretty much what led me on to create rubbish walks so the um, sunrise the 100 sunrise challenge was was fantastic but obviously once i'd finished that i i had a new mission and i spent a lot less time doing all of my wildlife gadget man stuff and a lot more time finding out more about our our impact in the environment the the different things that we do in our everyday lives that that have an impact and then trying to think of ways of sharing the information that I'm finding with as many people as I can. Again, without being too too preachy, without making it complicated. And, and it's about sharing the failures that I have along the way, as well as all the, as all the good things. Because particularly when we look at social media, we see all of the amazing stuff that people are, are doing. And most of the time, it's it doesn't represent the real world at at all. Um, so I think it's important to to try and share a, a, a balanced view and a and a, a balanced story of you know there are ups, there are downs, there are there are positives, there are negatives. And as as many of the um, the people you've already spoken to have said that Jen, I think in the last Jen, say, um, Jen, in the yeah. last um, last podcast, you know, none of us are perfect. No, you know, and, and we and we shouldn't expect anyone else to be perfect either. And I think what, what we need is a, is we need as many people as we can doing some of this stuff imperfectly rather than just a few doing it perfectly. And the, and the more we can do that, the, the better we'll be. That's funny you said that. That really resonated when you were speaking. I was thinking that just what, what Jen said last time. It's very interesting. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I obviously I listened to, I managed to catch um, the podcast with Jen. Absolutely fa- fantastic. And I managed awesome. one with Sean as well. Sean, about yeah, um, greenwashing. greenwashing. Both of the, the messages f- from both of those podcasts really resonated with me. And it, and it, it showed me that a lot of the we're we're all working together with the same issue trying to address the same issues the key thing is for me i think is that what we've got to be careful of is as these issues become more mainstream in the in the media the general public are going to start to potentially get bored of it they're going to become blind to the, to the issues oh yep i've heard all that before i've heard those issues i've heard those stats you get a little bit more bored and you, and you move on to the, to the next thing. And all of what we're trying to achieve, generally speaking, that our goals don't change from one year to the next. We want people to use less stuff. We want mm-hmm. to recycle better. We want to use less plastic, all of those kind of things. But we're not going to be able to make those changes overnight. It's something that's going to take us, it's taken us a number, you know, a few generations to get into the pickle that we're in, and it's going to take us a few generations to get out of it. So what I've worked hard to try to do is to find new and interesting ways of sharing that same message over and over again, to try and keep it fresh in people's minds. So you're, you're keeping it fresh for the people who already follow you, who you already engage with, but you also potentially manage to to grab the attention of of people that maybe you haven't spoken to before or they haven't seen any of the things that that you share on social media. Mm. And and on your website, I love your goals, actually, your three goals, which change attitudes, which is just what you're saying. Build communities, which I think is an interesting one, and kick butts. (laughs) Yeah, so so we... With, yeah, so with those, so change, changing attitudes, yep. So that's that's one of the, the key things. You know, we've just got to, the way I try and look at it is, as I say, none of us are perfect. We can't expect ourselves to be perfect. But if we can do a little more than we've done yesterday, we're heading in the right direction. Absolutely. 
And when it comes to communities, it's much easier to do that with others than it is just by by yourself. When, when we think of communities, we can think of that in a number of different ways, whether it's with our, our kind of immediate family and friends, whether it could be neighbours, at work, at school. We can think of it in, in any number of different ways. And the more that we can kind of join all those up together, the better and we, we can build these these um, these bigger movements mm. and the kicking butt aspect kind of links into one of the one of my key passions and areas that I try and and tackle and that's the issue of cigarette butts yeah. and c- cigarette butt litter that can be a, a tricky conversation because as soon as you start you mention the issue the issue of smoking in general comes up and whether people should smoke or not and the problem is People are so passionate about the subject, as they are with many other subjects, but particularly with smoking, where you inevitably get people coming into the conversation that's at, that says, well, we should be banning smoking, you know, full stop. You know, we shouldn't be smoking anyway. And I always try and avoid um, that conversation. I'm not I never say to anyone that you should or shouldn't smoke. The choice is yours. You're not breaking any laws if by by choosing to, to to smoke. My issue is with the issue of littering. Yeah, the, the problem of littering. So you know, as soon as you drop that cigarette butt on the ground rather than disposing of it properly in a bin somewhere, you then committed you know a littering offence. Yeah, and, um, and I think I think that you t- I think one of your um, campaigns was talking about there's actually plastic in cigarette butts. Yeah. So one one of the things that lots of people aren't aware of is that cigarette butts are actually made of a a form of plastic called cellulose acetate and it's a very similar kind of plastic that's that's used to make sunglasses sunglass Mm. frames that that kind of thing so cigarette butts are the most common form of plastic pollution on the planet i don't usually quote lots of facts and figures because i think (laughs) at, at the end of the day nobody really remembers them and and it it, you can look in so many different sources and the numbers change but it's estimated that there are there are more than four trillion cigarette butts dropped in the environment every single year and that's that's a conservative estimate four four and a half trillion that's a really hard number to get your head around when you think that that's more than way way more than all of the stars in our galaxy oh my goodness and and if you and if you think if you if you were to lay the, all the cigarette butts dropped in just in one year end to end it would stretch to the moon and back more than a hundred times oh. that's in a single year and it's also suggested that cigarette butts can take between 18 months and 10 years to to break up in in the environment obviously the different depending on where they are they'll they'll hang around for varying amounts of time but if you think four and a half trillion every single year and they could be hanging around for you know up to 10 years that's a lot of that's a lot of plastic in the environment and as with most with lots and lots of plastic it never really truly disappears in in the environment. Mm. Um, we hear about plastics breaking down in the environment when really we should be thinking of it as as breaking up yes. into smaller and smaller pieces. And it's those small pieces, you know, really are the the real concern because when we get to to microplastics and nanoplastics, it then finds its way into the food chain, and once it gets into the lower levels of the food chain. You know, it's it's everywhere. It's in it's in us, and um, it's a real worry because at the end of the day, we really don't know what the long term impact is. There's there's research going on all, all the time. We have a we have an idea of the issues, but we're we're still learning every, every day. And I think one of the the key things that really interests me is even when we have all of this information. So when we think about cigarette butts and smoking, even though we know the impact that smoking has people still choose to smoke even when we know the impact that plastic has on the environment whether it's in the oceans or on the land we still we're still choosing to to use it and even when we think about the the pandemic 
what we've just we've just gone through. We have even when we have all of the information that's available and we can see with our own eyes what's going on. We still have people who who believe that it's not real. Mm. We still have people who think that um, I'm not going to wear a mask. You can't tell me what to do. They don't believe they don't believe in vaccines, all of those those kind of things. And it's we're seeing exactly the same attitudes as we get with littering. So you can't tell me to put my litter in a bin. Who are you to tell me to use a reusable water bottle rather than uh, just buy one off off the shelf? That that kind of thing. And um, so even when we have a kind of a worldwide pandemic, we can't persuade people to make positive, meaningful change. We could ask ourselves, well, what hope have we got by trying to encourage someone to put a crisp packet in a bin? It's something to do. I mean, I, Jane and I, as you would have heard, we were talking about being on a journey. And I firmly believe that everybody's in a different place in that journey and it's just catching them at the right time isn't it? it's the same with the climate emergency people don't they don't accept necessarily a lot of people don't accept there is an emergency despite all the evidence despite all the facts but you still got to try and find some way of catching them on their own terms finding something that speaks to them don't you exactly i remember you you speaking about bubbles being in your own in your own um bubble and that and that's right we're all coming at the world from it. We've all got a different frame of reference. We've, we've all got different priorities. We all see things in, in slightly different ways. And you're 100% right. Part of what we need to try and do, whether we're running a business or whether we've, we're trying to raise awareness about a certain issue, is we've got to, we can't always come up these these things from our own frame of reference. We've got to be able to step back and you know, put ourselves in the in the the position of the audience that we're trying to to connect with. Yeah. So whether it's the the consumer and um, encouraging them to, you know, where do they buy their clothes from? You know, where where um, as with with yourself, or if we think about the issue of bottled water, you know, that's that's another thing that I could talk hours hours about <laughs> what bottled water but it but it, it's it's stepping it's stepping back and 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 remembering that just because this is you know these kind of issues are something that we're passionate about and we spend you know many of us spend every kind of waking moment thinking yep. about it and we've spent a number of years thinking about it for lots of other people it hasn't been on their radar they've it's not it's not been a priority for them you know as i think as 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 jen said um, previously Mm -hmm. that they've got to think about the um the school run or you know there's the next meeting at at work that you've got to make sure you you get there on on time for the car's got to go in for a service all of those kind of things and we have all of these other things in our life going on and and for many of us the last thing we want is for someone to keep banging on about oh make sure you put your cigarette butt in the bin mm-hmm. properly make sure you um you don't forget to take your reusable um, water bottle next time you go for a walk and all those kind of things and so it's it's about cho- choosing your choosing your battles yes and choosing the the, the timing of those battles as, as well and I think as well, it's about making and um, making the message palatable. I mean, one thing you just painted an absolutely beautiful picture with the stars in the sky relating to the butts and things. It's, and you were talking about having a message that people will see on social media that feels new to them or whatever way they're receiving it. I mean, you, you've run lots of campaigns and I've been watching through the years since I've known you and they've gained national media attention. I know you're very modest about it, but your one million butts campaign in particular gained a lot of attention so how do you keep things fresh how do you paint those pictures in ways that people don't turn away but actually say oh that looks really interesting I want to know more I want to get involved yeah I think it's one of the key things is I I spend a lot of time on social media but I I spend my time on social media because it's I see it as an as a, an integral part of my toolkit to try and get the message across. So it's not part of my life because, oh, I've got to see what the, the latest trend is in, in mobile phones or mm-hmm. the latest dance moves or that, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> it is, 
Although that's interesting because you can then see where what's gaining traction, what people are interested in and what different areas of the demographics of the public are interested in to be able to then target your messaging to those particular groups. So, for example, one of the key things I think, and we'll probably chat about this a a little bit later, is is education, Mm -hmm. is is trying to get the message across and provide information to as many people as we can um, about these issues to on many occasions, just to, to get them to start asking questions mm. and to, to start to help them start their journey. And that's and that goes for, for any any age group. So I'm particularly passionate about getting into schools and and working with school children as, as much as I can. It's easier with primary school children, but where we start to get a little bit more difficult is as the children get older and we get into secondary school and it becomes less cool to um to do a number of these things you know that's one of the areas that we've we've got to try and tackle and I work hard to try and try and address that and it and it's not easy and I think it's for a lot of people it, it's there are thing there are things that you can do that are easy that you know are going to get likes and shares on social media and if that's what you want to do, great. But in the grand scheme of things, you're not going to change a lot. So what what I try and do with a lot of the content that I share is obviously you want to try and get a little bit of traction. You want to try and get the message to the widest audience possible. But it is it's about getting that. It's about the message. It's not about the how many likes and shares that it that it gets. If that if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, I mean. You, you need to get that traction because if you've got you've got to have a balance, haven't you, between the message and enough people seeing it. And obviously, the more likes and shares you get, the more people are going to see it. But I think you do it in a really fun way. I mean, I was I was laughing my head off at one you did a week or two ago where you had yourself dressed up as some kind of monster going through the woods chasing people uh, dropping litter. Yeah. That was yeah. So that, that's the 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 litter raptor. <laughs> so that was a that was a that was a an idea I had a had a while ago and that was a so that's one of these kind of part inflatable costumes so um it it basically looks like i'm sitting on top of a velociraptor <laughs> great great fun but i thought and i and i saw one or two videos online with with people just running around you know shopping precincts and scaring people and that kind of thing and and people were laughing and taking photos and and um and it was fun it made me watch it um a few times and i thought actually how can i use an idea like that to get some of this messaging across so i created a little kind of backpack oh i, I remember where the connection came it was also around about that time there was a a video that i saw of a couple of um chaps in japan dressed up as um like samurai and and they were picking up litter so they had baskets on their back and um they had the the tongs that they were using rather than litter pickers and they were picking up the litter with all of the amazing graceful movements of of um the these samurai and and ninjas popping the litter into the into the baskets on their back absolutely brilliant and i and I kind of made that connection and thought, well, actually, what if I get a little, make a little kind of bin to put on my back and, um, and I can run around with my litter picker sitting on top of this velociraptor, picking up litter as I go. And so the video is just chatting about the beware the litter coming to, to town and his favourite meal is lazy humans that, that litter. And um, but it starts the conversation. Yes. yes. Kids love it yes. because um, it's, it's a bit of fun adult you know some adults in in enjoy it but one of the, the other things that i've learned is no matter what you what you do you're never going to please everyone there's always going to be some people that get it some people that don't get it and so you just you concentrate on the on trying to get the message across to the people who are open to that messaging and and who will get it and and don't get hung up on the others that no matter what you say or do aren't gonna aren't gonna change no that's, that's so true and that's and so that's true. and that's when when you're looking at 
the issues in general. And, I, and, it, and it goes for in business when you're trying to sell products as well, is that there are you've got this um, the bell curve where you've got at one end, you've got your early adopters where who you, know, you get some something new comes along they've got to be the first to 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 have it and they they kind of get it and they'll they'll do kind of whatever you whatever you say and then you've got the this next chunk that you know will they're open-minded but they'll wait to see what these early adopters think of it and at the other end of the scale you've got this this group this certain percentage that no matter what you say what you do what what products come out they're not interested they're not going to be involved in that we have this issue when it comes to or this the same scenario when it comes to littering as well so when we're trying to get the the anti-littering message out you've got some people who get it straight away like you and i you know brought up not to litter and 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 that's great you've then got at the other end of the spectrum you've got people who are you know no matter what you say or do you're not going to tell them what to do and and if they want to throw litter on the ground or out of their car window, they're going to do it. And it's that chunk of the the um, the population that where proper enforcement comes in, because that's going to be the only way that you're going to manage to, to deal with that. But then you've got this this kind of grey area in the middle, this this chunk of the population in the middle that if you can get the messaging across to them, they're open enough to to change their ways to to kind of head towards doing the right thing rather than the other way so they're the target market really aren't they they are yeah I went to um, an interesting talk uh, a few years ago pre-pandemic actually with Lucy Siegel from the um, Observer and Christina Figueres who one of the people who negotiated the Paris Climate Agreement and she was talking about climate deniers and she was basically saying, I don't worry about them because there's going to be five to 10 percent of people who deny that the climate emergency is happening. And some of them have their own um, issues for that. Some of it's because their business or whatever, or their religion or whatever they want. To I just don't even worry about people like that. I'm never going to change their minds. The people you want to focus on are the people in the middle who just don't know. They're the ones who you give the information to and you bring them along with you. And that really resonated with me, actually yeah and I, I that's 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 so true and the the more that we can open people's eyes to the issues the more the more chance we've got of, of bringing people along on on that that journey i'm just just as we're chatting another thing sprang to mind about sean john conway uh, you spoke yeah. to sean um conway about um greenwashing yeah and I think one of the one of the key things that we could do, particularly when it comes to education, is try and share with as many people as we can. And you know, I'd love to see you know, this this taught in schools about the tactics that are used in marketing. Yeah. So so we we grow up knowing from an early age what these brands are doing. Mm-hmm. We can still choose to buy the stuff or, or not to buy the stuff, but if we know the kind of tactics that are being used and we and we know that you know they're trying to tug at the heartstrings or try to persuade us that we we need that that new mobile phone or you know our life's not going to be worth living, um, then if we can if we can help as many people to understand that as as we can as as an early age as we can then we'll grow up with being a little bit more skeptical yeah you know, definitely asking more questions and asking the right questions and and i think a consequence of that is that we will naturally start to buy less stuff mm. that we don't need and the stuff that we do buy we'll ask the right questions and buy the the right stuff Yep, I think um, I think you're so right about questions. I mean, I, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? I, I wish education did deal more with getting children to learn 
to um, assess facts and ask questions. I know with my children, when they were small, if adverts ever came on, I just used to say, um, I'm probably a bad mum, I used to say, this is just people trying to get us to buy things we don't want. We don't, we don't listen to them. <laughs> and that was just my approach to it. They're, they're, only, they're doing it for their benefit, not our benefit. You've always got to think why people are doing things, don't you? Yeah, I, and I, I can remember um, many, many, many years ago when I was, I was young, obviously way before the internet, it was catalogues, oh, yeah. mail order catalogues, yeah. and you would spend hours flicking through to the toy section in yeah. the in the catalogues, and and it and then it was all about the bright colours, the photography, yeah. the words that were used, and you'd and you'd and you'd go to sleep thinking thinking about the action man figure that you you know you 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 just had to to have, and <laughs> um, and and now obviously with the internet, you know, it's it's just we are constantly bombarded with all of this this information and 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 visual visuals, you know, almost every second of every every day. And um, what we've got to try and remember is, particularly when we think about the younger younger children, is that they're they're growing up in a in a in a different world to what we grew up in. But I think I think we as a generation have a a very important role to play because I think when we when historians look back at this time our generation is we're either going to be seen as the villains or we're going to be seen as as heroes because we are the generation that remember that grew up before the internet and this explosion of of all of this fast food and gadgets and all that kind of thing but we but we've lived through both ages. So we remember a time, a time before that, and we remember a time living with, with it. And we need to, we need to be able to, to share those. We can share those experiences firsthand with our children and grandchildren about life before the internet, life mm. before the mobile phone and all, and coffee shop or, uh, take away coffee shop on every corner and yeah and um rubbish help help them understand that you know you, our, our lives our worlds don't have to revolve around technology and 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 stuff no it's true but the it's actually going back to a previous point you made it's about getting their attention though isn't it so working with schools and groups and young people and everything but getting their attention because there's almost like this everything's competing for attention everything on their screens is competing for attention so to get this message across which is quite serious it's about doing that in a really fun way I mean I love the way that you lay out all the cigarette butts into numbers and you make messages out of some of the litter that you have because that catches the attention which is they're scrolling through so many different things it's making it fun and accessible rather than a chore they have to do that that that's the I think one of the key things, making it fun, making it accessible. And, and as more and more of us um, try and share this messaging, as we're scrolling through our timelines on social media, there's only, only so many times you can scroll through an image of a bin bag full of litter. Yeah. You know, so and, and I, I share I share images of bin bags of of litter but I try and balance that with other things and every time I I share a post one of the things that I ask myself before I I click publish is so what mm. so I've, I've got this message I'm going to set, share so what you know what what do I want the the person looking at this to take away from it and sometimes the answer might be well nothing it is just that's a lovely scene over there, you know, a beautiful waterfall or something. And I want to, and I want to share it, but I might add something on there saying, you know, it's great to see that this is litter free. You know, if we want to keep it like that, then we've got to keep the, the messaging going about that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's asking the, the, the right questions. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, for me, the, uh, the, so what question is, um, is, really really important because I've, I've lost count of how many times I go to share a post and it's not until I I ask that so what question that I think well actually I need to add an extra paragraph here mm -hmm. of of information that that might 
point someone in a in a in a direction of another post or a, or a a web page or a video or or what gets them to kind of have a question in their in their mind so you know if i can if i can get somebody to to leave my posts as they scroll through social media with a lingering question yeah in you're the back drawing of their them mind. in, aren't you? You're drawing them in. I mean, then, I think I think at that whole one of your goals about build communities. I think that's a really key part. I mean, the, I saw one the other day, one of your excellent videos where you were going along in front of a long line of um, young primary school children. I don't know how old they were, ten, maybe something like that, and they were all doing the conga with their litter bags and and all of that. And I thought. To me, that immediately makes me think you've made this fun, but at the same time, there's an underlying message that you've taught them about the need to litter pick. But you haven't gone, hey, boys and girls, it's really important that you pick up all this litter, you know, and all this kind of thing. You actually said, this is a bit of a game. Let's do this together. And everyone who's watching that video will have had a little smile, but the little message would have gone into their head about this can be fun. I should do this with my kids, you know. Exactly. And I think it's all about... I'm trying to leave those lasting impressions. So one of the one of the things that I've been working on through lockdown is um, developing an idea for a uh, a film festival oh. for for school children. And the i the idea is that without going into too much detail, what I'm hoping to do is we get different schools involved different subjects the children create short films but the ultimate goal is that they get to see their film on the big screen at the cinema and it's it's that kind of thing that will stick through the stick with them as they grow up that they remember they remember they saw themselves maybe on the big screen at the cinema Mm. and that's the kind of story that they'll tell their children and that potentially in their and their and their grandchildren and um and they're inevitably so what why were you on the on the big screen you know what were you what was the film about and and hopefully we'll keep the conversation going so that's something that obviously with the pandemic it makes things a little bit awkward getting people into into that kind of thing and it's not quite the same watching it on the on the computer (laughs) the key thing with that is you know, for the, you to be in the, the cinema environment, seeing yourself on the, on the big screen. So that kind of idea is I've got a bit of time to, to, to make that happen, but right time, right place. I think that could work. That could work really well. Be amazing. And it's, it's coming yeah. up with, with all of those kind of little ideas that can, can, can make it make a difference. And, and whether that's children at primary school, whether it's um, adults, I think one of one of the things I love about what I do is with the regular walks and litter picks that we do is the um the friendships that you you build and I've met lots of of lovely people and made friends through the a lot of the the walks and beach cleans and and litter picks that I've done and with those with those walks I mentioned right at the beginning about the mental health and health health yeah. and well-being aspect and for, for me it is the events that we do the litter picks and walks is as much about the the mental health and, and and well-being aspect um because we're still living in a really kind of very strange times in an un, in an uncertain world where many of us feel totally powerless and one of the things with going for going for our walks and litter picking or doing a beach clean it gives us a little bit of power a little bit of control over something so you know we can we can go for a walk and we can we can feel like we've had a positive impact in the world on that that day and that might be the only thing that we feel that we've done positive that 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 day but we don't need to wait for big brands to change their packaging we don't need to wait for politicians to add to introduce new legislation to make it difficult for these more difficult for these brands to to use certain materials or to or for local government to be better at enforcing existing existing littering laws you know we can 
all of that kind of thing is can be used as excuses. We don't need to wait for yeah. for for that to happen. We have it in our power to make positive changes right now if we want to. And anyone could finish listening to this podcast and they could decide to go out for a walk and pick up some litter and pop it pop it in the bin. And they're having a positive impact. And you might think, well, in the grand scheme of things, what difference is that going to make? Well, individually maybe not a huge amount but the more people we can get out there doing it collectively it really does start to make a difference and who and who knows if you go you might go out pop to the shops after listening to this podcast or you may be actually listening to this podcast as you're walking along on on a walk at the the moment and yeah if you are walking along listening to this podcast how many pieces of litter have you walked past as you're as you're as you're walking along did it has it occurred to you to actually ask i'm not going to walk past that litter anymore i'm going to pick it up and and pop it in the in the in the nearest bin you know and if we can encourage people just to do to do that we're having a positive impact if we're picking up more litter than we're dropping which is hopefully we're not, not dropping any litter but if we pick up more than we drop we're having a, a positive impact and we never know who's looking who's watching and it might be that that might be the only time that you pick up some litter and put it in the bin. But you don't know. There can be a, a, a small child walking past with, with their mum or their, or their dad, and they see you doing that, and that might spark a little something in, in their mind and start them on a, on a slightly different journey um, just because they saw you, you, you doing that. And we never know when that's, when that's going to happen. And also so, going back to mental health, I mean, it, so it's helping. You've got your superpower to help change the world, but you're going to feel better when you do that because you've made a difference. And also just being out in nature, going for a walk, you know, achieving something. It, it can only be good, can't it? Yeah. And I, and I think we've I don't know where many of us would be if we didn't have a, you know, the natural environment to to ex- explore, particularly during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, it's been a lifesaver for me. You know, I don't, I don't mentally, I don't know where I would be if I was, if I was, had been unfortunate enough to be one of those who was stuck, stuck indoors for that, yeah. for that, for that period. But many of us have rediscovered the wonderful green spaces on our doorsteps, and unfortunately, many of us, and a, and a higher percentage than many of us would want to admit to, trash those areas. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave this. We, and I. I just cannot get my head around. I cannot understand how somebody can visit these. They're obviously visiting these places because they're beautiful. They're scenic. It's a nice place to be. And yet, you know, they'll have a picnic and then they'll leave all their stuff there. Mm. Um, all their plastic bags and wrappers and and PPE and, and, and bottles and PPE. Oh, don't get me started on PPE. <laughs> no, don't get me started on PPE. Um, and um, and they'll and and leave it there. And I and I just. I just, I just, yeah. I spend a lot of time trying to to step back and trying to get into the into the minds of these of pe- people who do that kind of thing. And I and I think there must still be some that then they're not aware of the end. They're still even with everything that we see in the media at the moment. They're still not aware of the potential impact of their consequences of their their actions. Yeah, and. Um, and it just kind of reinforces the the importance of what many of us are trying to do in um, keep banging that message out there yeah, and, and nudging nudging people in the right di- in the right direction. Yeah, I think I think it's I mean, but I do believe it's thoughtlessness. I mean, people that I speak to, it's not it's not any intention to cause damage or ruin something. It's just it's just thoughtless. But yeah. I want to go on to one of your campaigns, though, because um, one that really touched me, which I think links with this really well, was your litter is your litter museum where you've oh. been posting on the Internet about these really old pieces of litter. Um, which I think it's absolutely amazing that some of the things that you found in your your litter pick so can you tell us a little bit about the the litter museum and some of your favorite things and also are you ever going to open this museum to the public well that's a that's a a great question well i've i've lost count of how many litter picks and beach cleans that i've that i've done and and sometimes when you're on these kind of litter picks 
you you have to find ways of kind of keeping yourself motivated and keep going you know it might be start pouring down with rain and you've got three bin bags that you're carrying along and you're you're two miles away from your car and um you've got to try and find a way of, of keeping yourself kind of pushing pushing forward and one of the things i started to do was look at the best before dates on some of the the, the litter that i was finding and um which is a bad thing to do because it becomes quite addictive and and again that that soon became a, an integral part of, of what I would do when I was out litter picking or beach cleaning. And sometimes when, you, when you're walking along as well, you'll see a piece of litter and it will instantly spark memories from years ago. And you, because it's something that you recognise from your childhood and then you know that, hang on a sec, that's an old, that's a, an old piece of litter. A great example of that is... Um, some of the cans, drinks cans that you, you find. So probably for me, one of the most personal kind of best finds that I that I found when, when it comes to drinks cans is a is a can of Quattro. I don't know if you remember <laughs> Quattro, but that was from the kind of the, the mid 80s. So it's got your kind of real kind of 80s design on there. And it, it was it was sugary. It was it was really kind of sweet. But I can remember that that was my favorite drink at the time when I met my wife. So I have, so seeing, seeing that can of Quattro brought back memories of meeting my, meeting my wife and, and first starting dating and that, and that kind of thing. And it's amazing how those kind of things trigger, trigger memories. Another yeah. example is a, um, a little wrapper of a little packet of big D or double D peanut uh, peanuts, yeah. um, and I can I can remember. Um, so I've got a I found two or three of those little packets dating from the early eighties, but again they brought back memories of going to. I used to play in a darts team with my father bef- before he died when 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 I was quite quite young in my early teens. So seeing that instantly brought back memories of of be going to pubs and playing darts with my with my dad because these these were the little packets of peanuts where you used to see them on cards behind the bar mm. and as you pulled the the packets off there would be a a photograph on the back on the back mm. that would be totally inappropriate yeah. these, <laughs> these days um but it but it um it brought brought back memories but it but it's also really really um i find it really really useful to to really bring home to anyone who's who's interested and willing to to listen to to me bang on about it that you know, this stuff doesn't disappear no. you know we we might spend you know a minute using a plastic bottle to 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 drink out of but that will that doesn't then just disappear if you throw it into the hedgerow i think when it comes to plastic bottles we hear stats about you know, them lasting in the environment for 400, 450 yeah. years. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people hear those stats and think, well, how do they know that? You know, is that, is that, is that true? Is that, does that, do they really last that, that long? But when you find crisp packets or plastic bottles that are 50 plus years old and they look like they were dropped yesterday, if you can if you can physically show somebody that it really it starts to 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 really kind of hit home and i i take a lot of the the items that i found into schools not so much since the since the lockdown but um when i would do talks and presentations i would take some of the old litter along and um explain the the, the stories behind them and particularly with the younger children when you help them to understand and appreciate that you know that this particular can is is older than their mum and dad or their yeah. grandparents um it really starts to 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 kind of hit home with them just how long this this stuff lasts in the environment and a lot of people are interested to to see to see those kind of things and and the idea is that i've, I've thought long long and hard about how how can i best share this um you know these these ancient these vintage litter finds and um so i've got a, a section on the website um where i've got a lot of the images on there it's only about half of the, the, the collection um but then i thought about 
would wouldn't it be great to have a, a phys, the physical collection mm. um, somewhere? And I may I may do that. It's it's finding the the space and it's finding the the appropriate funding to be able to do it. But I'm kind of lean because I, I think it'd be fantastic to to have the you know the the UK's first um, physical litter museum. It would. Um, it I think it would, would be really great. But then I I think actually what could be even better is maybe if I can give myself a an appropriate van and create a mobile museum yeah. which would then make, that would then make it much more accessible to to a, a wider audience yeah i think um, it's brilliant so i, I think probably leaning leaning towards a a mobile listen museum but i think physical museums could be could be really interesting and and i think i think what could be really interesting as well is seeing sections in existing town museums that are dedicated to that to that kind of thing because it's it's i've now got i think it's just over 300 items within the within the collection um that are all from the 1900s so it's between um from 1999 um back to i think the earliest piece that i've got at the moment is a it's from around 1920 and it's a and it's I couldn't believe it when I found when I found it it was in the in the center of Ipswich and um and I can remember doing a, a litter pick along Lancia Road and just as I was coming along the park there there was a, a bank on the on the side of the road there and I was picking up some cans and bottles and I saw this little bit of glass poking out of the ground and I grabbed it and it came came out and it's and so it looks like a test tube sealed at both ends and inside is a a surgical a, a needle and catgut suture so the original catgut suture material from around um, 1920 it's still got the sterile liquid in there how it lasted a hundred years without being smashed i don't i don't know oh. but it's got a little label in there as well done a bit of research online found exactly the same item in a in a museum up in scotland um from from 1920 um and then there's jars of old marmite jars from the yeah. 20s there's tins of dentifrice tooth powder which when you think about when we talk about going plastic free and, and we and we think about bamboo toothbrushes yeah. and toothpaste tablets and all of that kind of thing we used to do that years and years ago. Mm. Um, it was all it was all plastic free. So I find these Gibbs toothpaste tins, of, as I say, from the twenties and the and the thirties, and um, and it and it goes on. So as we, as we go through each of the decades, we see different things. And and plastic wasn't really kind of mass produced and used for for bottling and that that kind of thing until the the, the late 40s early 50s round about that time so the earliest example of plastic that i have is from a a couple of bottles or one in particular bottle plastic bottle that i found on um Bordsy beach along the along the suffolk coast and it's a small bottle of revlon aquamarine body lotion deodorant and again use the internet the the internet is is great for 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 certain things for doing certainly for doing research so i've done a bit of research and i might manage to find images of that exact bottle which was part of their i think it was either their 1954 or 1956 range of, of of body lotions so that's one of the earliest examples of plastic out there because it plastic bottles weren't used much much before then and apart from one little tiny hole in just in the side, I could, I can, you can still read the print on the outside. You could fill it up with body lotion and still, and still use it. Well, I really hope, I really hope you open that museum to the public because I think it's anyone listening would be so fascinated. I'm sure in all of your different stories. But I just want to quickly move on because you're so great at doing, telling these stories and sharing these messages. And I know how modest you are, so I'm just going to say you've been very highly recognized for all your work i mean a few years ago i think it was just pre-pandemic you got the points of light award from the prime minister at downing street you've been had the green hero award in the suffolk creating the greenest county awards 
And we, you and I, actually met um, at the first time we ever met was at an award ceremony, wasn't it? It was back in 2016 or something when we were both getting an award from the Fetus for Small Business Awards lovely to to get recognized oh, for the yeah. for, for these for these things it, it's it's lovely but it's not 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 why you do it and it's a it's a kind of fun thing to happen i would i was very proud to to win at the suffolk you know, created the, the greenest county awards yep. unfortunately again i was on holiday at I the time there. of that I so i <laughs> so I, I i missed i i missed actually picking the awards up on the the award ceremony but that was um that was a, a lovely surprise to come home to. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a it's a bit of paper that sits in a cupboard somewhere or you might stick it in a frame up on, on the wall. But it's in the grand scheme of things. What difference? You know, well, I think it does, things? it's just about raising awareness. I mean, also, it is for, for us as onlookers, it's great to see businesses politicians whatever taking notice of what you're doing Um, and maybe this maybe the fact that they are taking notice and giving you a pat on the back is a good thing for that but what do you think they should be doing to tackle the rubbish problem yeah well I I think it's a and that's and that's that's lovely it's always nice to get a bit of um to get that recognition but actions speak louder than words Mm -hmm. you know we it's all, all very well saying that the right thing but if you don't back it up with with action then um you know then, then, then what's the point a great example of that at the moment is the um deposit return scheme so many years ago we used to have you know bottle, bottle return schemes um i can remember cans of or the glass bottles of corona with the 5p or 10p re- return if you if you took them back and we've been um there's been consultations going on for a number of, of years now about reintroducing a deposit return scheme and and how do we do that? Um, is it an all-in scheme or do we just have certain items that will be part of it? And the deadline for the consultation keeps being the government keeps kicking the can or the plastic bottle down the, yeah. down the road so they don't have to to make mm-hmm. a decision for for one reason or another and it's just again being delayed i think until 2024 oh goodness and um it would ju- it would just be nice for a change for you know the, the words to be backed up with action mm-hmm. in a in a timely manner without having to go through all of the the pain of building these movements and and getting to get a critical mass of people and public opinion to before brands and and politicians will make make these um these changes and i always i always think of it there's when it comes to a lot of these projects and a lot of these big decisions you've got the three p's which is planet politics and profit mm. and if and if you think of that as a priority list, when we're thinking about any any issue, if we don't have planet at the top of that priority list, then we're not going to be as effective as 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 we could be. So if we prioritise profits or politics over the planet with any of our decisions, then really have we have we are we making the the right decision long long term? And I think. I suppose you could add a, and then we could think of another P. And I think this was briefly mentioned as well in in one of the previous podcasts, and that's power. Yeah. And um, and it's recognizing and understanding that we, you know, a lot of these decisions are made linked to power. You know, mm. be, being in you know, politicians being in power, brands dominating the market that they're in, and and many of us as as consumers thinking. Or as as voters thinking, well, you know, what power do we do we have? Well, we have a lot of power. We can, we have the power to vote for politicians and and um, and parties that align with our with our beliefs and with what we want to we want to see in the world. We have the power to spend our money on products and and brands that again align with with our with our beliefs and 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 we have the power to make changes today right now in our as i said earlier in our in our daily lives to to start to make a difference and we might not 
things that we do might not change the world in general, but it could start to change our world. Yes, unfortunately, um, I think we we have to be the leaders, don't we? Because currently in government, the, the policies seem to be about allowing businesses to mark their own homework on these things and almost and being pushed into making changes, make, doing any kind of legislation or any kind of reviews. They have to be really heavily pushed into making those kind of changes about environmental things. So we, in a way, us as people on the ground, we have to be the ones who are rocking the boat for people to listen, for people in power to listen and and actually make those legislative changes that are needed to do the right thing for the planet. Yeah, 100%. And we can't, the worst thing that we can do is for, for us as individuals is, is to sit back and expect someone else to, yeah. to, to start that movement. If we think about it, we, we could be that someone to start driving that change, to yeah. start. To take the um, Yeah. No, it's true. Well, as you know, this podcast, the Where Does It Come From podcast that you're all listening to is all about that. It's about exploring the impacts of the stuff that's in our lives on people and planet all the way through from the making of it. We're interviewing different people, making of of products to um, buying products to marketing of products to disposal of products and obviously in your case it's even after that even after people have disposed of it what happens to it then so final question what changes would you like to see Jason in the way that we consume stuff that will solve this issue of rubbish for the future I I go back to something that I mentioned earlier on in the in our chat and that's it's, it's got to come back to education and asking the right questions. If we can help people to be more aware of, of how they're being manipulated in their purchasing decisions and getting them to ask the right questions, I think that will have the natural impact on that will be that they will use less stuff, will buy less stuff, and the stuff that we do buy will hopefully have a less of an impact on the natural environment brilliant that's 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 absolutely right it's it's got to be education hasn't it because as we've said if you're educating people they're going to start pressuring politicians they're going to start pressuring businesses and it's like a i don't know a snowball effect of of growing isn't it we start with start with the thought in people's minds and then let it grow from there and and it it comes down to nudging the nudging them in the right direction and and helping them come to their own, making their own decisions and come mm. to their own conclusions. Mm. And no, brilliant. No, I, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. There's nothing, nothing that I can add on that one. Um, well, I'm very conscious we've been chatting for a really long time and I found it fascinating. We could obviously keep talking about this forever. And we haven't even talked about face masks, which I know is a, a thing we share our, our great love of disposable face masks. So we won't go into that this time. But um, it's been such a pleasure, Jason, to get you on the Where Does It Come From podcast. Uh, so everybody follow Jason Alexander rubbish walks he's all over instagram well worth following on instagram for some really entertaining and informative posts and videos so thank you so much jason alexander for coming on the where does it come from podcast thank you for for inviting me it's been it's been wonderful and that's the time's gone so quick i know it really really has thank you let's do it again sometime definitely